Welcome back to the All Ears podcast. Just again, I am doing this podcast because I believe I have a lot to learn about the world. I, when I started martial arts, I stepped on the mats and the better I became at martial arts, the more I realized I didn't know about martial arts. And I feel the same in life. The, as I venture out into the real world and the business world and all these other, you know, the feet, feats of life, I feel like the more I progress into them and the more money I make and the more influence I have and the, the bigger my knowledge becomes, the less I actually know because there's so much to learn in the world. So I like to bring on ca uh, characters and different people that I can learn from and hopefully you can learn along with me because uh, there's so many much information in the world and I'm doing it completely selfishly, but hopefully you learn something too. Great, welcome back to another episode. Uh, I have a very interesting guest. So I'll start us off. What is harder, living in the outbacks of Australia and growing up there, or having to keep your dick hard for 45 minutes on set? The latter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, having to keep your dick hard for 45 minutes on set is way more difficult. Like, growing up, the only, thing you, the, the only hard part about growing up in the outback is, is finding things to do to keep you entertained as, a, as like a teenager. As a, okay, but then as a child you were... Super easy. You just ride your bike and get out in the forest. It's fun. And okay. then you get, then you become a teenager and you start thinking about girls and there's no girls around and you're like, fuck, <sighs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, I've got to get out. So, so in the outback, you were in a small village or what? what yeah, you, call, like? you could call it a small village, like a farming town. Okay. So you're yeah. a farmer. Families are farmers. Okay. Like uncles are farmer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A cattle, like a beef farmer. Beef so, farmer. Yeah. Okay. But I, I grew up working on farms huh. my whole, like all, until I was like my early twenties, I was working on farms every summer. So, so how did you transition? How do you feel? How did your family feel about you being a farmer and growing up to living in Miami and living in Marbella and traveling to Dubai and being this yeah, influential guy? They, kind, they find it amusing. They don't really get it. Uh, it was, I actually just, I just went to Ireland with my uncle and my auntie who run the family farm. And my uncle had no, he didn't really have any concept of what I do for a living. He's like, Okay, well, he's doing all right, and he's he's traveling and his stuff, but how is he doing it exactly? And then I showed him my YouTube channel on my phone, and he saw like a quarter of a million people. He was like, what the hell? He was just blown away. He was like, how the hell was there that many people watching? And then the next day, we went to the Rock of Cashel, this like tourist site, and some some 16-year-old, 18-year-old guy came running up to me. He was like, hey, are you Sterling Cooper? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, can I get a photo? Yeah, yeah. And my auntie and my uncle are standing next to me, and they're like, what the <laughs> hell is this? What's going on? So they, they are just kind of figuring it out, mm. what, it, what it exactly is that I do. So yeah. no, one in the, no one in the outback is, uh, is no. getting sex advice from Sterling Cooper? No. Oh, well, they probably are. <laughs> <laughs> There's not telling anyone But not your auntie and uncle. <laughs> no, not them, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that town's full of like... Old, like 70 year old people so that's long gone they don't really need to worry about that stuff yeah. anymore they've got their kids they've... but then so obviously now they see that we went to Ireland with them and you they got to see who you've become if you want to put it that way yeah. like because you've obviously been away and changed a little bit um, a little bit yeah, a little, a little bit, bit a little bit I try and think of my life because I left home when I was 18 19 I went off and did fighting moved to America kind of left the, the, the you know my, my family region for about 10 years, 12 years, came back, and obviously it completely changed. But people looked down on me quite a lot for being a fighter. Like, huh. before Conor McGregor, before the UFC was massive, but, you know, when I started 16, 17 years ago, being a cage fighter was not like a cool thing. It was the opposite. It was like they thought I was a scumbag. So I had a lot of tough 
conversations with family members and friends and all that sort of stuff that thought I was some sort of, I don't know, bad person. And I just wonder if you kind of went through that with porn, like how people would react, like, like people that you've known for a long time or your family or aunties, when you're like, oh, I'm doing porn, gotcha. how was it? You know what, the, my, so my friends all thought it was hilarious and funny and cool. That's like college friends, high school friends, like, you know, high, because I'm a dude. So like they're getting, they're giving me high fives and shit. <laughs> but the family didn't really talk about it. It was like this known secret around like the Christmas dinner table and stuff. I remember my sister told me a story when I was, I hadn't, I hadn't been back to Australia in about three years. Mm. And my sister told me a story, Christmas lunch or whatever, everyone's sitting around. And my cousin's just got like a new girlfriend. He's married to her now. And she's like, oh, you know, what's, what's your brother do? I never hear about him. And then the whole table goes like silent. And then her husband turns to him like, I'll tell you later, don't worry about it. So it was kind of like that. Like everyone, everyone was aware of it, but no one wanted to talk about it at all. It was kind of like the black sheep thing. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was a little bit embarrassed about it to start with because he didn't really, uh, he thought I was, he thought like he, he's, he's what, 73. His impression, and he's grown up in the outback his whole life. His impression of what the porn industry was was very, very different from what it actually is. Like he thought, I was shooting up heroin or something like legit. Like he thought I was on like all these kind of hardcore drugs just because I was in this industry. He thought like my, my, my health would be at jeopardy, all kinds of shit, which was completely far from the truth. And so once he sort of realized I was, especially once I got out of the industry, making good money, health was totally fine. Like living healthy. He was like, Oh, okay. And then when I, then when I bought him a Rolex, he kind of really realized it. Then he kind of, he's like, Oh, okay. Like he's doing okay. <laughs> that was a, that was kind of a big switch for him in his head. Once I was able to like buy him his first rollie, it was uh, interesting. Well, I found out like with my dad for fighting as well. My dad would always be embarrassed. Is like maybe the right word, maybe the wrong word. But he again, we never really spoke about it. He came yeah. to see me fight once, but he didn't tell me, and I lost. Um, so he never came again because he's quite so superstitious. So he, like he came and I didn't know, um, but he. We would never, when I would win and I would fight, and obviously before when I'm, talk, I'm talking amateur, like in sports halls, right, you know, he would not be proud of me, as you want to put it. Huh. But then along the line, I'd be with his mates, getting drunk, having drinks, and my dad would go to the toilet or something. They'd be like, oh, your dad always talks about you doing da 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 da, da. So that I, I kind of learned that my dad was proud of me for being a fighter and, and being, through his friends telling me those stories. You know? yeah. So I wonder if secretly your dad was like high-fiving, saying like, oh, man, I don't know. Probably to his, actually, I, I kind of know he did because I went to his, he, he plays golf a lot. I went to the golf club last time I went home and saw him. And his buddies were making jokes about that, you know, about what I've been up to. Yeah, so yeah. He, def he definitely has talked about it like over a few beers. Yeah, because men are men, right? Yeah. So it is what it is. But I just think... Uh, it's interesting how, especially with your dad, because I just know you're really close to your dad, and, and uh, so, like, I'm close with my dad, and we have a great relationship. But you still don't, ha you still, or I think I'm growing into that stage now. I'm 35, and like, I, I've always looked up to my dad as like a bit of a god, you know. Like he's, you know, uh, I really respect him and look up to him. And then there's that situation where you're the man now. And your dad becomes like an older man, and you have to like lead and make decisions and think. And it, I just think. 
COVID really hit it for me with my dad. Like I, my dad got the jab and he followed the, 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 that way. And I was like complete against it. And I'd try and tell him about it, but he wouldn't listen to me. And we had this back and forth. But it's funny how you don't have that, or I never had that connection with my dad. And I think it's like spending time together because I know you guys plan to spend a lot of time together this year. Yeah, and it's a, I've spent a lot more time with him, honestly, since my mother passed. So she, she passed away about five years, six years ago now from cancer. And it, it kind of, me and my dad always, always enjoyed a beer together and stuff, but we never really like spent heaps of quality time bonding together until after that. And it, that was a really big kind of push for it because he felt like, oh, like I have to take care of my kids now. Like I have to be more hands-on with my kids. Like he started calling us up and stuff all the time. Never did that, ever, <laughs> like the whole life. And so that led towards us planning lots of like holidays and trips and stuff together. And I remember when I, I took him around America for like a month, we just stopped all, all, all the way through. He loves war sites. So we went and saw all these like old Civil War mm-hmm. sites. And he, I'd, I would get, I would progressively, my strategy was I'll get him drunk and I'll get all these cool stories out of him and it worked. And I, I kind of figured out exactly where I, like why I'm the way I am. Like, oh, that, this is why I got into porn. Because my dad was a bit of a dog back in the day. <laughs> okay, okay. So I sort of, yeah, without going into too much detail, I sort of started to, I revealed a lot of things about him, which is good, which for me was a lot of closure. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I had this impression that my dad was a bit more straight-laced than he actually was, especially when he was younger. And I'm like, why am I a complete degenerate? <laughs> what happened to me? Like, what, what did I do like, that, that made me this way? And then hearing him finally like, tell me some of these crazy stories from his youth, I was like, oh, that's where it comes from. Cool. This, I didn't, it wasn't like, because my, my upbringing was like white picket fence, stable family, like parents never divorced, together the whole time, three kids, all this stuff. You know, you, you couldn't have painted a more like stereotypical picture-perfect family. Mm-hmm. And then this guy ends up becoming like a degenerate porn star. Mm-hmm. Most people would assume that I had come from a broken home or something. Because that yeah. is actually relatively common, I will say. Yeah, so it, that the stereotype of that is common with, or not with, true. With the, with, the, with the women, definitely. Mm-hmm. And with the guys, they tend to be. It tends to be like a rebellious streak kind of thing. There's a lot of. For some reason, there's a lot of. Is a, I can name, I can name dudes who were like pastors' sons who got into the adult industry. I can name dudes who were Mormons, came from a strict Mormon family who got into the adult industry. I, I don't know. It's weird like that. The guys tend to be like rebellious, and the women tend to be well rebellious as well, but in a different way. But it comes from comes from like a broken home or a lack of a father figure in some way. Yeah, because for. Uh woman to do that is way different for a man to do that right yeah yeah it comes it, from the, for the guy it comes from like a position of maybe wanting to prove something uh maybe wanting to live that kind of risque rebellious kind of bad boy lifestyle i guess and for the woman it seems to come from just this is me psychoanalyzing all, all the people i've worked with this seems to come from a place of wanting to get back at a guy that could be their ex-boyfriend or it could be their dad and they do it, they, it, the initial impetus for doing it is kind of out of spite in a, in a lot of cases. Not all, but in a lot of cases. So then if you're the white picket, perfect family, you said that you don't want to go into it, but what was the, not the reason, but what do you think pushed you towards, towards that industry? I think it was just a, just an overwhelming sex drive above mm-hmm. a lot of things. And the fact that it was absurd 
Like, from a farm, I'm from a 3,000 person farming town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. What's the most ridiculous thing I could possibly do? And that was kind of it. It was a lot of my decisions in life, Luke, have just come <laughs> come down to what would be a fun story to tell later on. And that's kind of it. Like I, I've never wanted to live a life that's exactly the same as anyone else. Yes. And I think a lot of people do, honestly. I think a lot of people live what, what I would call like a cookie-cutter life. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go to school, you go to college, you do this, you do that, you get a, you get a family, have this many kids at this age. Like It's, it's very cookie-cutter. There's not that many people who live a, or have a very unique story to tell. And so I've always wanted to have a unique story to tell, and that was, I think that was a big emphasis mm-hmm. for it. I feel similar. I feel like for me, at 18, 17, 18, all my friends were going to college. And they go, I, was, I was at college. They were all going to university. I didn't want to do university. I found fighting. I got into fighting. And it's like now again, retrospectively, at the time you don't even realize because you just live, right? Uh, but now I'm a bit more self-aware and I self-analyze. When I look back at my life, again, perfect family, perfect upbringing, no, again, People think MMA fighters are animals and there must be some trauma or no, none of that. I just, I wanted to go against the societal norm. Again, I, I didn't want to follow these, you must get a job, you must work a nine to five. At the time I was working a nine to five in London in a, in a marketing company um, and I was doing okay. You know, at 19, I was running my own apartment. I was, I remember, this is a stupid thing to say, but I bought my own fridge. You know, it was like 800 quid or something, you know, but you, but what 19 year old kid spends 800 quid on a fridge? I think that was the point where I was like, no, why am I doing this? Why am I, I, I conforming to this lifestyle that yep. <clears throat> I've been forced on me? So I kind of quit my job and moved into fighting and, and the rest is history. But it kind of, that's why I, I feel like me and you, I mean, we know each other fairly well anyway outside of this, but I feel like we have quite similar characters because we decided to do something crazy if you want to call it crazy or against the norms of reality you know i'd agree with that and i think for me i think i started to recognize at a young age because i only got into the adult industry at 29 right but prior to that i i so i had a chemistry degree and i left that degree to pursue entrepreneurship and i started a couple of ran a couple of businesses but and that was eventually what led me down this path as well but for me it was recognizing at a young at an early age that the people who are successful don't do what everyone else does. It was as simple as seeing that. They don't, like everyone who I looked around and saw any modicum of success in sports, in finances, whatever, they, ju- they didn't play by the same script as everybody else. Mm. I thought, okay, there's some, there's that, that's the common denominator I can see. So I'm going to do that too. I, I, I literally, I'm on Twitter now, so I tweeted this, something similar. Like, the more I go against the agenda or the more I against, go against the common national, r- rationality of life, the happier I become. Yeah. The more eat I eat, the more meat I eat, the stronger I become, you know? The more assertive I become, the more attractive I become. Like, the, the, the world is trying to force people into these boxes and make you live this nine-to-five life and submit and be this weak guy. I, and I think... For younger guys, I think that's a really important thing. Having the takes confidence for sure, but having the confidence to go down your own path mm. is it doesn't matter what you do it in, even if it's porn, even if it's in fighting. I mean, just actually going against the grain, it teaches you so much. And I, I, I go on a bit of a rant. No, you're the guest, but I'll talk. You know, I love to talk. Um, I think I got that from my mother because my mother was Jehovah's Witness, 
And growing up, I, I studied as a Jehovah's Witness or grew up as a Jehovah's Witness until I was about 16, 15. Then I shut the bathroom door, started screaming, going crazy. Like, I'm not going to church. We used to go three times a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays. It'd be like on a Tuesday, at the church would come to our house. So we'd have the meeting in our house. It was like very, very intense. Um, but to see my mum live against the norm you know, because we didn't celebrate Christmas, we didn't celebrate birthdays. We, you know, she she was very stood for it, stood for stood her ground, and was like, no, I don't want to do this. I want to be like this. Everyone else would be like, what? You're not going to have Christmas, and she'd be like, no, because my religion. Da, 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 da. And I think as a young kid growing up, at the time, I hated it. You know, absolutely. Like, don't get any Christmas presents. It was awful. Um, but looking back again, as you grow older, I really respect my mum for being strong enough to, to turn around and say like, no, this is how I want to live my life. And I think that is what gave me the, the strength to do the same. Yep. I mean, ultimately I feel like the religion was a net negative on our family's lives because a lot of stuff happened. My family separated, not completely because of that, but it had a, it had a point in it. Um, and I don't fully believe in, in the religion, but seeing her, even if it's wrong, this is what I'm trying to say, even if it's the wrong decision, seeing her stand her ground and be like, no, no, I want to live this life, gave me the, the strength to do the same and go on and become an entrepreneur and to do all these sort of things. So I don't know if you had anyone in your life that, that you've looked up to in that way. And it's a hard question, but. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing specifically comes to mind. I just, uh, coming, going back to that point, I guess, it's about, it's kind of like calculated risk taking in a way. Like risk, risk. You, you can't have success in anything without taking risks, right? Everyone wants to try to play it safe and follow the beaten path and play by the rules and play by the exact same script everyone else is playing by. And then they're wondering why they're getting the exact same results as everybody else. It's because you're not taking any goddamn risk, right? I remember when I started my first business, I had a friend of mine who unsurprisingly had a really cushy job working for the government and he said man i wish i had the balls to take the risks that you're taking right now with starting my own business and surprise surprise flash forward 15 years later he's still in the exact same position but i remember thinking about that I, I, he said that in passing whatever and i went home and i thought about it and i thought you know what where's the risk there's if i'm starting a business there is zero risk here because either i succeed and I'm exactly where I wanted to be. I have my own income stream, whatever. Or I fail this time and I've just learned a ton of stuff to apply to the next time I try to create a new business. So it's a win-win scenario. And that was kind of the way I always tried to find, I always tried to find the positive in anything, in any bad scenario, bad outcome, whatever it is. And so, yeah, it, it's, I think, being able to frame things that way is very important for guys to have any modicum of success and being able to understand that if you, t you have to take risk to get anywhere in life beyond the ordinary. I think it comes down to confidence. Hmm. I think I've seen you sing karaoke. So, so I know you're, a, and you're a performer. I mean, forget the, but the, the sex industry and everything else, but where do you think, again, I've done courageous things in my life. I've stepped in a cage and you have seen in front of 20,000 people, millions watching at home and had a fight. Cool. Like that might sound courageous, but to go on video and have sex with someone and it'd be all over the internet, that is, that is a, a, a pretty ballsy, if you want to use that phrase, like you said, thing to do. 
how do you think or why do you think that confidence has been installed in you? How, because mm. how, I think a lot of people in the world struggle with that fact. They struggle with, I'm unconfident, this guy can do it, but I can't do it. Just like your friend, your friend who work in the cushy job, why can you not work the cushy job and he has to? Like, what's mm. the, the difference, you know? Well, with, in regards to the performing stuff, it was, it was very early on I realized I liked being the center of attention and I liked being like, I never found public speaking intimidating ever. As as a young kid, I was the first one up to to do a, you know, a speech or a presentation. I loved it. I loved giving speeches. And I think I think I got that from my dad. My dad was a he's a big gregarious guy and he liked to give speeches that he, he used to do like a what you like kind of low scale amateur uh, stage performances and stuff in our local theater troupe. I used to grow up watching him do that and I grew up watching him give speeches and stuff and that kind of just rubbed off on me. And so I think that's where the confidence started to build was me being comfortable with public speaking and seeing how uncomfortable everybody else was kind of created this separation in my mind of like, oh, I'm more confident than everybody else. And I started, I think I started to associate with that. I'm just thinking about this now for the first time. Honestly. <laughs> but what, what ages were you then? <laughs> oh, that was like probably like grade five or something like young, young, and then like that, early, early tens, 11, 12, something like that. And then obviously, like you said, you, when you see the separation that made you feel special or yeah i guess different yeah so that reinforced over and over again like yeah that's got to be it it's like yeah that feeling of that seeing that i've got something that other people don't makes you feel special and then you reinf you subconsciously probably try to reinforce that constantly mm. i think that's got to be it okay well i i'm, I'm always because i always think so that's probably what i always think and i always say i think doing s small things and maybe they were small things at the time and getting success from those small things and then stacking on top of those small things is how you build confidence. Totally, so yeah. If you're like an unconfident guy, I mean, I'm, I always say I'm the most confident guy in the world. I'm not. Don't like doing karaoke, but 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 whatever. I only, I only like I only don't like doing karaoke because I know I'm not very good at singing. So why would I put people through that? Like if I have a talent, I'll do it. You're you're not bad, so it's okay. Um, debatable, debatable. But you do one song, we know. Uh, but I'm saying like for me, any anything I know. I have a, a good grasp over a good I'm good at half decent at I'm extremely confident yeah because why would you think any other way you're going to think you're going to do the best job that you can do but if you know you're not very good at something I always say because I'm very straight and I talk a lot but I'll give my opinion and I'm very well, my opinion is like fact in my head when I give it but it's I only talk and give opinions about things that I understand yep. if I don't know about the thing I'll be like no nope, I haven't got a clue you tell me you know, but if I'm like, oh, we're going to go out, we're going to, where do you want to go on holiday? I know loads of places to go. So I'll give you my opinion like a fact, but I'm very certain on those things. And then very, I don't talk about the other things. So that's my confidence. I only have confidence in the things that I understand that I've spent a lot of time understanding a lot of things. But if you're going to make me sing in front of people, I'm like, uh, I don't want to do that because it's, I know it's going to be bad. Like I, I have awareness enough for myself to mm. understand that it's going to be bad. But so if I went away, and I built up the skill set, then I'd be happy singing. Yeah, just, just pick one song. Yeah, all you, you got to do is pick one song that, <laughs> that matches your vocal tone. I've got loads. And you'll nail it. Barry White. it got to be a Barry White See, there you song. go, Barry White. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to get you on that stage. No, no problem. Um, I'll get there. But yeah, so for me, I think stacking the wins on top of each other. So if you're yeah, a guy at home yeah. who doesn't quite understand what to do, it's that simple concept of making your bed in the morning. I don't know if you had that. Like, yeah, I've heard hey, that. It's like, I don't make my bed in the morning. My wife definitely does that for me. But it's like, if you can't, if you're an unconfident person, just wake up and make your bed. 
then you've done something, tick it off. And I think having a list of things to achieve and achieving things, like you said, you had that achievement of being the kid that standed out and then you wanted to reaffirm that achievement by being like, I'm different from everyone else, I'm loud, look at me. Like, and that would then reinforce your confidence. Totally. Right? So yeah. I think the guys that aren't confident, they need to reaffirm that by doing tiny things like making their bed, like getting up in the morning and going for a run, like doing whatever they, they can to, to improve their life. So I think, you know, for me, that's, that's it. I always like asking people about, because most people that come on podcasts are fairly confident people. Yeah. You know, so I like asking like, why do you think you're confident? Well, because I like to be different or whatever it is, you know, like you said, so. I do agree with what you're saying though. The, that idea of stacking wins, like getting momentum, looking again looking back again it's probably the first time i've actually really introspectively thought about this particular topic like mm -hmm. why am i confident i would agree i've definitely had a lot of wins growing up like top of the top of the class like graduated as ducks in my high school graduated as ducks of the next school i went to like all this kind of shit so like academically i had a lot of confidence i was athletic is that built on it played basketball my whole life won awards and, and we won championships and stuff playing mm -hmm. basketball wasn't necessarily the best on, definitely wasn't the best on the field but i was good in my own aspects great positions you play great defender I, I ended up playing everything man I, I started off as i was i had an early growth spurt so i started off as center and then as everyone else started catching up i went to power forward then small forward then shooting guard and, and it finished point guard oh, okay so i was the only i was the point guard who could out rebound a guy who's like six foot six <laughs> i'm a really good rebounder i'll tell you that right okay, now okay and okay. i know that because I've, I've been through it i've seen I'm, like i was out rebounding guys who were way bigger than me when was the last time you played basketball Man, it's been ages. I, I since I, I actually, ironically, I stopped playing basketball when I moved to America. Oh wow, which is weird. <laughs> I was playing all the whole like, yeah, probably like twenty nine years. I took over my whole life when I was at school, yeah. and because um, it's all about America. I went on when I was thirteen. I went on an American cruise, uh, like you know, you go to Disneyland, and then we did like a Caribbean cruise or something. I, I made it sound like my family was super wealthy. They're not. It was our big holiday, that whatever. But um, I remember being on this cruise for a week. And, and they had a basket. They had all the pizza you could eat and basketball. So I didn't do anything else but play basketball and eat pizza for a week on a cruise ship. Um, but I played with American kids, and I was 13, 14, something like that. And I got whooped by 10-year-olds, like absolutely yeah. embarrassed. So it was my whole life. I went to America. I spent a week playing basketball, and I left like, fuck this. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. Because I knew instantly, like, oh, no, I'm no good. I used to think I was good. Because at school, school that I used to play, like um, I played for Essex or for Chelmsford or whatever it was like for my county. I played county level. Um, I thought I was good, but no, a yeah. 10 year old, like, yeah, so I felt bad, but we'll have to play. Yeah. So I, I think that, that might, maybe that was, I think it was more of a case of me just not having, like knowing where to play a pickup game mm -hmm. when I got to LA and I'm, and I'm just trying to get off my, this career off the ground and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's why, I, and I just let it fade away and I got into more like, okay, I'll do more CrossFit and stuff to just keep my fitness up than dedicate myself to, because it was, it was a, I knew it was a commitment back in Australia. Like I'm, I'm doing this many games a week, I'm training this much a week, blah, blah, blah. And I needed to take that extra time to focus on a completely different skill now, mm -hmm. which was like acting. Uh, <laughs> acting, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Which I think is why I kind of let it slip away. I would have, I would have, no doubt, had a very similar humbling experience mm. had I stepped on like the average pickup court in LA. I guarantee I would have, because I'd already had those experiences in the past in Australia, for God's sake. So yeah. the skill level is nowhere near it is in America. Well, it's, uh, it's huge in Spain, so you should pick up in Spain. Huh. It's massive. Did Basketball's we, the second biggest sport in Spain. Did you know that? Yeah. So uh, we, I got. We, we we'll go to a game. Cool. Um, that's give us a to a good topic, like. You lived in, obviously, from the outback, in the middle of nowhere, 
3,000 people in your, in your town. Then you ended up moving to Miami, living with Justin Waller, right? Yeah, so he's like, you know, so living this high life, now you're living in Marbella. How do you compare like living in Europe and living in Marbella compared to living in Miami? What's the, for people yeah. watching, what do you think? Yeah, because people would, you might assume that these two places are somewhat similar. Mm. But honestly, I think, I just love Europe. I think it's, there's so much, there's so many things that I think are better about Europe than, than America. And there's, and there, you can make the same argument conversely too. America's a land of convenience. I'll say that much. You, like, you know what's going to, you know, the CVS, the aisles are all exactly the same. You know exactly, you know exactly where everything is. If you go into any CVS, if you go, if you go, if you get off an interstate, you know there's going to be a 7-Eleven there. You know there's going to be a holiday in there. You know there's going to be a Macca's there, McDonald's. Like, you know where all these things are going to be. It's, a, it's really cookie cutter and convenient. And the customer service is, is through the roof. Spain customer service is so-so. <laughs> I'll say that much. But, but it's just so much healthier. The food is, it's night and day. You don't realize how bad the food is in America until you, if you, if you especially if you've grown up there, but if you live there for a few years eating and then you eat in Europe, it's just like a light switch. You're not poisoning yourself anymore. It's, it's really hard to describe to someone who's never had that kind of transition, but I noticed it instantly. Food's way better. Uh, I just generally like European people. I get along with, especially like British people, I get along with them easier. There's something about the way that, like Australians and, and English and Irish and Scots, we all have a very, very similar sense of humor, demeanor, character, and you can, you relate to people like instantly, I feel. And that's why I noticed that when I was in America, anytime I'd, if I met someone who was English or Australian or whatever, we'd get, we'd, we'd get along instantly. Yeah. Whereas I found Americans to be a lot, tougher nut to crack I found them at least to be a lot more kind of closed off and uh... Uh, I, I think because I, I, I lived in California for two three years uh, with my time during the UFC and I lived in Oregon for about six months training with Chael and I lived in Salt Lake City for two couple of months I, I moved over America quite a bit um, and I was on the armor fire for eight weeks with a load of American guys. So you, I know it sounds silly, but when you're on reality TV and you have no phones and you have no TV and you, all you have is the people in the place, there was 14 of us, so you get to know them very, very, very well. And the guy I got on with the best was, a, a, well, there was, a, there was a Swedish guy I got on with the best, but uh, the, Amer the Americans was a kid from Boston. His name is Jimmy Quinlan. Um, and that's what I found when I lived in California. I think Americans, you said they're closed off. I, I believe that they're playing a character. Whereas I feel like Europeans, especially English, and the people you just like Irish, we're genuine because we're taught like from being kids, like that's what it's about. Whereas- like you, They wear their heart on their sleeve a bit more. Yeah, that's the, which is, which we all say, and I would subscribe myself exactly like that. I am who I am, heart on sleeve, boom. Whereas in America, it's much more like you're told to have a face, to have a persona, to yeah. be a, you know, and, and, and I think, the way the economies, I mean, I don't know if you know much about um, working in America, but they get like 10 days holiday a year. Yeah. So you're, as you're growing up and your dad's going to work every day, like you spend very, very little time being actually spending with your parents and you're raised by TV. My opinion, this is just my opinion, you know? So I feel like the TV in America is so strong and the culture is so strong that everyone tries to live up to be this face and this person that they're not really are. Whereas mm. in Europe, it's tradition, culture, your, your, your family name, you're, you're, you're taught to be yourself. 
You should always be yourself. You should always be yourself. There's no one better than you. That, that's like the, the whole thing you're taught in Europe. Whereas I feel like in America, they're like, no, 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 don't be you. Be, you want to be a celebrity. You want to be this guy. You want to be the guy on TV. Whereas it, I, I think that's the difference, having a similar experience. Yeah. When I say, when I say they're a bit more closed off and, and guarded, mm. Americans in general, I think it, it seems like ego protection in a way. That's just the way I'm, it, it comes across to me as people trying to not look like an idiot Trying to trying to save face a bit more, whereas English, Irish, got like we will we'll take the piss out of ourselves all the time. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the total opposite of trying to save face. Like with the the English, we're self deprecating. Like you said, we put Very ourselves much, down. Yeah. It's like culture. Put yourself down. Yeah. Don't be so. Don't be don't be bigger than the next person next to you. Be like low. Whereas America is all about being the best. Yeah. So is that that that's what I'm saying? Well, they have to be the best. So they have to pretend that they're the best because mm. that's what they've been told. To you're going to be the best, whereas we're told you're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like in a fun way, like yeah, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's it's in a fun way. It's not I I like the whole. You could you could make the argument that self-deprecating humor is bad because it because you're talking to yourself in a negative way and it'll affect your self-image. But I never I never really found that. So much. I think there's definitely, and I've actually gone through a bit of a thing the last few years about that, and I 100% agree. I think that is, I do actually think it has a very negative on, uh, onset to your internal dialogue. I think being the culture we are, where you insult yourself and you make jokes, and I think it does affect your internal internally, but it keeps you grounded. Mm. So you become a grounded person, which I think is super important. Whereas in in the states, I think there's less, much less grounded people because everyone's trying to live. You know this this lofty lifestyle and be the best and I'm the best and America's the best and blah, blah, blah. whereas we're more real. But there's a place to be real, to be yourself, and to live your true self. But also think you're the fucking man, which yeah. is comes with time. But yeah. when you were like in England, probably in Australia, when you're at school, and if you say something that you'll instantly like have five people say, "No, don't be like that. You're a dickhead." Like yeah. it, it's a, a cultural thing. So. Again, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the American way. I don't think any, I'm not saying anything's better or worse. Yeah. I'm just saying we were raised that way, so I think that's why you connect. Yeah, yeah. That, and that, I'm just trying to make. I'm just trying to see. I'm just trying to explain the differences I've seen in the cultures. I'm mm. not trying, trying to make a uh, you know a value judgment on them. Mm -hmm. But that's uh, that we just described with. You say you're going to do something, and everyone's telling you no. That's tall poppy syndrome. We get that all. That's just that's a very Australian thing too. Okay, tall poppy syndrome. The tallest yeah. poppy gets is the one that gets cut, cut down. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that's. Very much. If you, that's why there's not really like there's not an entrepreneurial culture in Australia, mm. like there is in America. America's the total opposite. The, America, like the tall. If you stand out, you get the squeaky wheel gets the grease. America's the total opposite. If you stand out, you get all the praise, you get all the fame, you get all the celebrity. That's why. That's why there's such a big influencer culture in America, like Twitch and and, and TikTok and all these things blow up over there. YouTubers mm. blowing up over there, right? In Australia, there's a that and maybe similarly in England. That culture doesn't really exist. It's very much like, who do you think you are? Big, big boots. Yeah, trying, yeah, to, yeah. trying to be all special and different. What's, all up, what's up with that? Be humble. Be who, you know, that's very much the culture. And that's the downside. 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 So having the, yeah. like, mix. And again, you're a fortunate guy who's lived at home, traveled to America, traveled to Europe. So you see it. I'm the same. I'm very well traveled. So I see it. Some people that just live in their towns, they don't, they don't even understand this dynamic. They don't know. So... It's again the Americans not their fault for overreaching. It's actually better to overreach than it is to try and be yeah. the 
normal sized puppy, not the tall puppy, the small puppy. Yeah, I guess regular and puppy. But, yeah. <laughs> but again, that comes down to the confidence. So you said you you were the tall puppy because you were the guy that wanted, went into porn and did all these un- weird things. So you went completely against the norm, which is a fucking hard thing to do. So yeah, and it was and and Americans are not lazy. There's one thing it, people people have this sort of stereotype about like the lazy American who's like sits on the couch watching Netflix or watching football and eating Cheetos. I can tell you right now, Americans are not lazy. They are some of the hardest working people on the planet because, and I know this because Australia, I'll say they're more industrious. Americans are far more industrious. Australians, the average Australian life is, okay, I work, my co- I work, I work a nine to five. The minimum wage is really good. Free healthcare. Don't have to stress about a damn thing. What do they do on the weekends? Play sports, go to the beach, have a barbecue, watch a bit of football. That's, and, but the average American is on the weekends, he's busting his ass, starting a side hustle, trying to like make ends meet or has picks up another hobby. Like he's a, on the weekend, he's like a bushcraft man who goes out and builds cabins or he, he has some kind of like workshop and he, or he refits Harley Davidson's or something like that. Americans have hobbies mm. like this. It's far less, obviously Australians do, but it's far less prevalent mm-hmm. in Australia. They, they relax a lot more. It's a very, very relaxed culture. And, and that you, comes across in the people. And then you come to Spain and it's even more relaxed. Even more relaxed. <laughs> so, so, so relaxed that the waiters don't even do their job. Exactly. <laughs> That's how relaxed it is in Spain. But again, the Americans, they've got to pay $1,000 a month for healthcare. So they, 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 they like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a it's completely trash. different, different life. But I think, like you said, most people think Marbella and Miami are similar and they couldn't be different. Yeah, they're so different. And even the, even the the clubs, for example, like because people come to both cities to party. Mm. That's the big thing about both Miami and Marbella. They come there to party. You go to Miami, and it's it's very much like nightclubs. Yeah, like obviously bottle service and that kind of stuff still. But like here in Marbella, it's a lot. There's a lot more beach clubs. It's like everyone's in their bikinis and, and their swim shorts and their party. And it's just a lot. I, I find that even the club cultures here quite different, despite mm. the fact on the surface they might look the same. I, I, the way I label Miami culture is I label it ghetto, if that makes sense. Like mm. it's a ghetto culture, whereas like Marbella is more like European, similar to Dubai. Dubai is more European than anything else in its entertainment, like its nightlife, its its clubs, its um, its restaurant venues, like the big dinner and a show kind of venues, like your Mamzels here in Marbella mm. or like Billionaire Club in Dubai. They're very very similar. You don't really get that in Miami. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a difference between like classy European culture and like ghetto Miami American culture. I, I just been to Ibiza and we went to Leo. It's insane. Like it's the same. It's a Mamzel, but on steroids. Right. It's the best dinner, most expensive dinner I've ever had, and the best dinner I've ever had. <laughs> now it was a uh, like again, it's that dinner on a show's vibe. But I think Ibiza then has the party still six o'clock. I mean, you have that in Spain too, but it's like. I've just been to Miami a couple of months ago, first time I've ever been there. Um, and it does have like a Hispanic vibe. Definitely. Because of obviously the infrastructure, the influx of, of people. But I feel like ghetto maybe isn't, that makes it sound bad, but I think it's just uh, degenerate. Is I think it's a way higher degenerate, like, People are degenerate in my bio too, but it's like a much more intense degenerate <laughs> vibe. Like the club, like pie, yeah. pie, pie, pie. We're here to pie. We're here to do shots. We're here to <laughs> do, 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 do. Whereas you, I mean, there are places that aren't like that. I went to a couple, Milo and a few places like this, but 
Then in Marbella, it's much more like chill, enjoy, drink all day, have a party, whatever. It's just a different vibe. Again, I think that's the yeah. European, American culture. But you brought it up. My whole ethos and something I'm deliberating at the moment is, okay, small little town on a farm, Miami. Marbella is kind of like, a, in my opinion, it's like a step down, like, as in like Marbella is a, a, Miami's a big city, yeah. a lot of people, you know, crazy, kind of like a London. Marbella's like got that vibe, but it's kind of a bit calmer, kind of on the water, kind of more relaxed. So then all roads kind of lead to Dubai for a lot of people, like in your situation, doing well, making a lot of money. You mentioned Dubai and you said about it. Like, where do you see yourself settling down or not you know you're, you're not thought about it that is that is the hardest question i'm trying to answer i've been trying to answer that question since like 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 i've got a plan right the, like the, my plan is to have a homestead mm-hmm. and right now i'm seriously struggling to figure out exactly what that's going to be um it's i've been contemplating with kentucky honestly going getting back to america and selling buying because the land is super fucking cheap stupid cheap out there you can get I, get I can get like 80 acres like for a few hundred grand bro it's nothing because my my plan is to build like a family farm kind of like so my farm back at my my our family farm back in australia where my my dad was raised right and his brother who still runs the farm that's been in our family for five generations hmm. like 200 years that same bit of property has been there from the moment my great great aunt great 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 granddad came out from ireland been the same hand, same same family lineage passed down from son to son to son. I want to replicate that somewhere else because, well, one that that family farm isn't in my name; it's in my cousin's name. Cool. And two, I don't think Australia has is. I think Australia is on the decline, so I will never live there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's after all the COVID stuff. It's become far too totalitarian. It's become far too social justice warriory, liberally all this LGBTQT stuff. Like it's just getting rammed down everyone's throat. It's on. It's on. People, it's like California. Mm-hmm. It's like California levels of absurdity. That's Australia right now. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because I went home for the first time for Christmas last year and it was like the country I grew up in doesn't exist anymore. It was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, I want to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's time for the fam, my family to have a new lease on life. It's time because I think that's, we're in trouble there. So I'm going to create a second kind of enclave, a second legacy farm somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I haven't figured out exactly where it's going to be yet, unfortunately. You know, because yeah. I want—I need to be around. I need to be around like-minded people. I need to be able to obviously afford a decent plot of land so we can. I want fully self-sustainable solar panels, cows, chickens, no like water supply, rainwater tanks. We don't need anything. That's kind of what I'm looking for. And ideally, the ability to have firearms for self-protection and stuff. Okay, and that, so that rules out a lot. Of you. Rules out a lot of stuff, and and need to be able to homeschool kids because i ain't putting my kids in, in a goddamn school like a public school so the country has to allow uh homeschooling legally there's a, there's a whole bunch i've got this massive list of criteria i'm going down and it's getting it's very difficult to try and find the correct balance for all these different criteria that i have no, dubai, did, obviously dubai is not i do not want to live in a dubai. desert i do yeah, not want to live in a yeah. desert that's my that's the big thing like people rave about dubai and i'm like yeah dubai's fun it's it's super safe Super clean. I cannot fault that. But I just do not want to live there, mm. personally. I, I don't want to live in a desert. Mm. You know? But you see, like, you, you talk about Australia and the decline that Australia has had, and we see that. I mean, I see it worldwide. I see it in the UK, for sure, um, with 
COVID lockdowns and climate change and all this this this, this stuff they're talking about. Um, could that fade out and not you know and make Kentucky un, un, like that might not be even be yeah. That's, so the the reason I, I'm saying Kentucky specifically is I've got a friend out there with a farm who's mm -hmm. done all the, done this already, mm -hmm. and it's and me and him went back and forth about this a, a, a bit, and. Yeah, you could like America is the heart of all this mm -hmm. re retardedness. <laughs> you know, it's where it all it's all coming from there, right? And then it's infecting Europe and it's infecting England and it's infecting Australia and all that stuff. But it's coming out of these major cities, like big hubs, and it's kind of kind of got to this point where it's okay. You can you can go to like Appalachia, like the redneck country in Kentucky and this stuff ain't there. Mm, okay. <laughs> that doesn't exist at all. <laughs> it's just it's just people minding their own business. And I think America's one of the few places left where that is possible, where you can just be left alone. It's kind of all I really want, Luke. Just to be left alone. <laughs> just to be left alone. <laughs> left alone to my devices. Yeah. Just, just raise, a, raise a family, tend, tend my chickens and have some raw milk. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like you can't even do that. To me, that's the mind-blowing thing. I can't even buy raw milk somewhere in Europe. It's totally illegal. Like mm, I can get you wrong. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was one of the fun, craziest things. I'm going all over the place a bit here, but when I I lived in Portugal for like a summer, okay, a few years ago, and to me it blew me away that I couldn't buy raw milk, but I could like, but things like heroin and cocaine were decriminalized. How does that make any sense? What? <laughs> like you kidding me? <laughs> anyway, but. I think America is one of the few places where you can still, if you want to, if you want to get away from all the nonsense, yeah, you're still kind of within the system, to, obviously, but you can at least kind of isolate yourself away from all the nonsense and live your own kind of private life and just, I just want to be able to turn it all off and ignore it. Well, obviously, you can do that or do this or this whole plan because of the financial stability that you've been able to build. Correct. Completely and, correct. I mean, again family farm the, the story that you've had and the, the journey you've been through like money is obviously the thing that facilitates this whole lifestyle that you have yes when do you feel like how much money do you for guys watching how much money do you think you need to be making a month to be able to to live a free life to live mm. now because this is a summer i'm thinking about as well like to be able to be completely free have your farm like how much income do you need a month to, to be able to sustain something like this yeah so it's a good question and so for my that for that goal specifically, like I'll I'm gonna if I have reserve like some kind of monetary reserves like not necessarily like cash in a bank but monetary like gold Bitcoin whatever like some stabler form of cash <laughs> of uh, liquidity set like in the seven figures, mm -hmm. which I'm basically there already. Mm -hmm. That's fine for me to buy all the land I need, have a home built, buy all the equi farm equipment, buy what, to, set, to set that plan up, like seven figures or a couple of seven figures, easily enough. Like literally buy everything, all the cows or whatever, right? Now, if someone wanted, was trying to bootstrap that from scratch, well then you, because my, I don't intend, I don't, I'm not trying to make that into a money producing venture. It's literally just a, a food producing venture for me and my family for generations. That's all I care about with that. It's not to make money on that farm or anything. So for someone to do that on a smaller budget, you'd have to find a way, you'd have, you'd have to kind of balance those two things together and turn part of that land into like agricultural production so you can actually make some goddamn money off of it and yeah. you actually survive and you can continue the process, right? Now, in terms of 
how much money do you need to be free? Because some not everyone wants that kind of life. Mm-hmm. Some people might want the kind of vagabondish, jet sitting kind of lifestyle I currently have. Mm-hmm. Vagabondish, yeah. Vagabondish. Uh, how how much money do you need for that? And I think the 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 money isn't actually the important part. It's the freedom, the flexibility is the big mm-hmm. thing because that that is truly worth a lot more than money mm-hmm. because. Like I can work from anywhere. I've designed my business in such a way that I can work from anywhere. I work when I want, when I like for who I like, doing whatever I want, and that's the that's the thing that people will spend their whole life wanting that, but they'll spend it focused on just building up their money supply. And what they don't realize is that they've kind of trapped themselves with all these different kind of commitments and restrictions in, on their flexibility so they'll never actually have that the kid who's like the kid who runs like maybe does some video editing and like makes maybe a couple of the, couple of grand a month but he bounces around south america f- f- on a whim he has w- actually a lot more freedom and flexibility than than most millionaires mm. you know so it's you have to really define exactly what you want you know, I mean, you have loads of commitments, but you do have a very, very jet-setting lifestyle mm-hmm. as well. So you've you've got you've struck a really unique balance between those two. And I think it's and like look, let's look at Justin Waller for example, right? He now has that that kind of jet-setting, flexible lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. But he spent fifteen years grinding building a construction business, which is the the least flexible business you could possibly have. Right, but now he's leveraged it to a point where he's got the right people in the right positions, so that now he can step back and run it remotely, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Right, but most people will never get to that point in it with a kind of brick and mortar business they want, mm-hmm. um, unless you maybe listen to some Justin's advice on how to actually run that kind of thing. Right, so I think there's you have to really sit there and ask yourself exactly what you want. And I always I always knew from the very beginning that I wanted that freedom was the thing I valued more than anything else. I, va- I value flexibility and freedom more than I value my money, mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah. And then you think, you say, say Justin took 15 years for you to build this business, this this income stream that you, you currently have. I mean, we'll talk about what it is and everything else. But to build that, how long did, has it taken you with that? That intention that you want to be free, that I want to have, you know, like you say, financial freedom and physical freedom and logistical freedom. How long has it taken to build that sort of thing? Well, you could you could say... There's two answers. You could say it, it took me three years because I started this current business in 2020, but that's the wrong answer because it took me two failed businesses over the course of the previous, like, what would it be? Since I was 24, 23. Yeah. So that's another <laughs> several years. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, the better part of over a decade of entrepre- learning entrepreneurial skills and succeeding and failing and taking risks because those things become ingrained in your brain and the way you see business decisions, the way you act, the way you make partnerships, the, everything is, that's why going back to the point I made ages ago about like there's no risk. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I try a business and it fails, I just learned a ton of stuff. Cool, next business. Didn't quite work out or it had a little bit more success? Excellent, I know I'm getting closer to the mark. And all of those lessons I learned in my previous businesses, I've applied in this one, and which is why it has succeeded so quickly. Mm-hmm. It's because I knew all that stuff. It wa- I wasn't starting from scratch, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for you, to, let's just say a decade, because you said like- At least a decade. At least a decade. For me, hearing that, 
a decade is zero time when you think, okay, in a decade, you can have financial freedom, logistical freedom, and be able to do whatever you really want and be able to work whenever you really want. Or you can go down this path and work for a company and then when you're 60 or 65, or now I think it's 70. You get one, to retire. You get to retire. So you're gonna to have to work, I mean, I'm 35, so another 35 years for somebody else. So even if I give up a third of that life to then be able to have my own business that makes me my own money, that's how I look at it straight away. Like, whereas other people look at the risk and I'm like, the reward is so much bigger than the risk. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I'm, I'm similar. And I would actually say like, even including your, you know, your time in porn and everything else. Like for me, if I start a business now, I started a few businesses before as well, even when I was fighting, but the only reason I could start a business and it could be taken seriously would be my background and my lifestyle. Even this podcast, people only listen because I fought in the UFC and I, I built up a reputation. That's 15 years of my life. So those 15 years of my life, you have to then utilize them to be able to do something. So any business I start now, it's taken me 15 years yeah. to get there. You know? Exactly. And I think, I think it's, but, but what I think is interesting is, because I'm having these discussions quite a lot, my brother, he does very, very well. He he works, you know, for a big conglomerate company. He makes, you know, multiple six figures a year. He, he He's fantastic, but he's got a job. And I've been saying to him for years, become a consultant, start your own consultancy, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no. And they said to me the other day, like, I'm thinking about starting my own consultancy. It's like, I've been telling you that for five years, but he'll never admit it. Um, but it's like, he's investing his time and his energy into a job which is what most people do and they're scared to, to, to go this way. So if you can make some automated income like, or, or, or some income that you don't have to trade your time for, even if it's a small amount, like you just said, that small amount of money you can make, if it's 300 pound a month, is worth 1,000 pound a month or 2,000 pound a month because you don't have to do anything for it. So it's like, but if you never even start any sort of revenue stream that could, if you even don't even think of that idea and you don't think to go, start going down this, this path, like you're down the path now, like you said, a decade. So you're now making great money. But if you don't, you have to start the path, right? Yeah. And that's the, most people want to start the path and they want to buy a Lambo, like next year. Right, yeah. You know, so. I'll tell you what started me on the path, exactly the, the exact thought that started me on the path. Because I, I graduated university with a chemistry degree and I started working as a oil and gas chemist, mm -hmm. <laughs> all things. Quality control. I was like setting shit on fire all the time. That's <laughs> nice. literally, that was literally the job. I had to set things on fire and then measure the ash content. Interesting work, but I remember. Uh, I think I'd been. I, I think I worked that job for maybe a year and a half, two years max. And after the first, I like started on a, on a whatever wage because I was a grad undergraduate. Sorry, a graduate. I think I, I think I started on maybe like fifty, sixty thousand Australian a year, hmm. which was yeah, back in when I was twenty three. And then I worked there for a year, and then the next day, the next year, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna give you a pay rise." So I'm like, "Oh, great!" And it was it amounted to five thousand dollars extra. And I sat there and I was looking at this paycheck. I'm like, "I'm able to make five thousand dollars more after twelve months of work. How is it that I can't scale this? There is no way I can achieve the level of money I want, the level of financial freedom I want." By working this job, there, like no matter how much time and effort I put into this, I still get the same output, the same flat rate. So I'd much rather be doing something where, where my effort is directly proportional to my income. Mm -hmm. That just makes so much more sense, and I and I immediately like left that job. Wow. Yeah. All right.
That was I, it. In fact, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tell exactly what I like. It was kind of a bit cheeky. So I found out about this entrepreneurial conference in Lithuania, of all places. It still, it still exists. It's called the, it, well, they named it a couple of different things, but at the time it was called the Blacksmith Liberty and Entrepreneurship Camp. And what they do, it was these four American self-made millionaires and they put on this camp for, for people under the age of 25. And they invited 50 people from around the world to come and attend. You, had to, you just had to fly yourself there and then they took care of everything else, food, accommodation, mentorship, totally free. Hmm. Crazy. Because one of the guys, he still does a lot of the stuff. It's called Craig Ballantyne, big entrepreneurial guy. He, people paid thousands and thousands of dollars for a weekend with this guy. And he was there giving us advice for free. We had him right there in front of us. No, no charge whatsoever. And uh, I found out about this conference anyway. And you had to send in a video application. And, I'm, and I sent mine in and I got accepted. And then I was like, okay, shit. Now I've got to get the time off work. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I went to my boss and I kind of I famoosed him a bit, and I said, "Look, I've just been I've come across this really cool opportunity. I think I could go to this thing because it, it's it's only for people under under twenty five, so no one else here can go. Only I can go because the youngest person at the company." And I'm like, "Okay, but if I go to this thing, I can then take all the lessons, all these business lessons I learned, and I come back and I teach them to you, and we can help grow this business." He's like, "You know what? That sounds like a cool idea. You can take that that extended time off work." And and I. Then I came back and six months later I quit. Wow, six, at least you gave him six months. I gave a little bit more. But, but that's the, that, even even that mentality to, to go to your boss and say that is like, because I, I, I mean, I would do a similar thing, but he, it's like, he's a business owner. He wants to improve his business. You're thinking, okay, he wants to improve his business. So I'm going to tell him I'm going to improve his business. So he lets me go. Yeah. It's, like, it's obvious. Like, you, have, you have to make things win-win. Like, mm -hmm. what's the value exchange? How can I how can I add value to someone in some way? Yeah, it's right. the that's the fundamental rule of all business is just giving people value. If you if you give people enough value, you'll never be poor, ever. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's uh, the the value that you. Well, someone told me this is like the value that you give to the world is the um, basically the wealth that you receive. So, the more the, you know, if you're a millionaire or multi-millionaire or you're worth multiple seven figures, you've obviously added so much value to the world because there's no other real way to get that that finance. You know, obviously, you could sell drugs, but <laughs> it's a different different game. I mean, you could make the argument that is that that is in some way adding value in the form of like escapism to mm -hmm. somebody. Mm -hmm. You could make that argument. I mean, I was joking, but thanks for the justification. <laughs> no, because the reason I'm making the justification is because I, th I, think, it, it's I think it's important to understand why people exchange money mm. for goods and services. Mm -hmm. If you want to understand business, if you want to understand why businesses make money and how yours can make more money, well, then you should be able to look at any money exchange and be like, why are they exchanging it? What's the, what's the deep core value that is being fulfilled? Mm -hmm. through that and so yeah. i think with drugs it's escapism of course uh, yeah. so again it's, it's yeah i think what most people struggle with is they only see the the surface value of yeah. things yeah. like you they just see some porn star you know i mean I'm, I'm just, yeah, but, but really you had a like you just said you were a chemistry degree or what, 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 and you start yeah. burning ash or some crowd no but i was saying like you all the depth to, the, to then creating the business whereas some people just think you're a porn star that started now, now you're selling sex advice online, but yeah. it's like, okay, think about the 15 years and the, the time you spent and the depth that you have to your knowledge. I, I find that again with, as a fighter and a guy that did mixed martial arts and four in UFC, people just think I'm a thug. 
It's like, if right. you truly understood how fucking hard it is to fight in the UFC and the commitment right. I have to take and the, you know, the dieting and the, the weight cutting and the, the training and the knowledge that I have to possess to be able to step into a cage and fight another man on yeah. TV, you, you, it would blow your mind, the amount of effort I have to put into that. But they just see the, the face value. And I think that's a big issue in the world because we just see everyone for face value and the, people don't want to understand the depth of individuals. They don't want to understand the depth of problems. They just want them to go away. And I think that's something that you explained very well. If you are interested in making money and that's what you, 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 know, you want to make money, you need to understand the depth of money, how money moves, why money moves, where it goes and how you can get in, the, in between it. Like that's how you make money, right? So if you understand why people buy things, then you can sell them things, you know what I mean? <laughs> Basically. Um, I had this recently with somebody, because I, I did it, we were talking about not trading your time for money, and I was a personal trainer, so still kind of am every now and then. So I'd be like, okay, it's 100 euros, I'll hold you some, hold some pads, and people would be like my friends or whatever. I, I've got a friend, my oldest friend, his name's James, um, he's my age, 35, his dad owned a company, he's now a maths teacher, he teaches, he's in London, but just teaches Asian kids maths because in London it's full of Asian kids. So I don't know why, but it is. Um, anyway, and I was talking to him the other day and he, he, he's like, oh yeah, no, it's great. I go to work. I own okay money. I don't know how much money he earns. I haven't got a clue. But it's like, for me holding pads, say I get paid 100 euros a session. Okay, I'll do eight a, day, eight a day, say 100 euros a day. Okay, let's call it a thousand because my maths isn't that good. Do it five times a week. It's five grand a week. It's like, there's no way as a math teacher he's making that money, right? But still me, as a guy sitting here talk, doing that maths in my mind, I'm like, I would prefer to hold no pads yeah. and make 500 euros a week by doing something else because I'm not trading my time for it. And a personal trainer is out there because I know a lot, of, a lot of friends of mine that hold pads or they teach people how to make weights or whatever. If they can come up with a product that people are interested in and people want and they can sell that product online in the internet, this big massive thing that we all should know how to use, it's endless money. Like it's endless. There's no cap to how much money you can make. Whereas you can only do eight hours, of, eight hours a day of work and you can only ma make maximum 800 euros a day. Sounds like great money. But then when you start making it, it's like, oh, I could just make this product, do nothing and, and then make money. Obviously, it's not that simple. Don't get me wrong. But an idea that I came up with recently, which I thought was a pretty good idea. And again, talking about the um, why people spend their money is if you're a personal trainer or a boxing personal trainer, as I am, is coming up with a course, I think this actually exists already, a friend of ours has got it, um, a course where you teach parents how to bond with their children through boxing. Hmm. So it's like you hold pads for your son or your daughter. I mean, every man who's got a son wants their son to be able to fight. Every man who's got a daughter wishes they had a son, wishes that they could fight. So they, they, they might struggle with their daughter bonding or they don't know how to do it. So I'm doing some pads. Like I said this to a friend of mine, Carl, I said, you should come up with a product where you teach parents how to coach their kids in boxing sell it for a hundred bucks, whatever it is, and you're, but you're selling the emotion of bonding with your children. Mm. Who doesn't want to bond with their children? I'll give you a hundred bucks. I can bond with my child. So it's like understanding that emotion. So that was like something I come up with recently, which I think is a great idea. So anyone watching who, who's a personal trainer knows how to hold pads, I think that's, but then it's getting out to the masses. So this is my whole point of talking about this, is moving on to what you've done, which is an incredible business that you've created is like you've taken your experience in the sex industry and now you've improved sex for men. Like basically is what you're trying to do, right? You, you, you call yourself the best sex teacher in what? Uh, I am the men's best sex coach in the planet. Men's best sex coach. So you become the man's best sex coach, but that's not by 
just being a porn star and just understanding sex. It's also by having the scientific background. Background in teaching too. The background in teaching that has allowed you to be able to create these products. So you're found a, a pain point for people in the world, which is struggling with sex, and you've improved it for them. And that's a fountain and endless money that just rains on you constantly, right? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> well, but it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a never-ending problem. Yes. And it's only getting worse in, in modern society because of things like internet pornography, which I thoroughly discourage anyone to consume. It's only getting worse because of shitty diets, sedentary lifestyle, uh, drug, like things like alcohol and weed and stuff like that. Uh, TikTok brain, like all these things are contributing to ha- worse problems, lower testosterone levels in men, massively contributing to it, to underperformance or lackluster performance in the bedroom for men. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, the problem ain't going away anytime soon. So unfortunately I'm, for you, yeah. Well, I mean, you could say that, but I'm, tr- I'm just trying. To, I'm trying to do my part to like plug. What's that? What's the old that old fable? The 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 little boy who stuck his finger in the dike. You don't remember that, that fable? <laughs> the dike? <laughs> the, the dike is a word for like a dam. Okay, dike in England is a word for a lesbian. Okay, so well, <laughs> stuck his finger in a dike. I was like, what? Right, a we'll dam, a dam. <laughs> stuck his finger in a dam. Okay. I'm not making this up. You can, the boy who stuck his finger in the dike is a story. Okay, okay? I'm not, I didn't just pull that out my ass. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that I'm trying to plug that little... Do something to stop the fucking. What happens the in damage. the story? He puts a finger in the. the what? Yeah, and he stops the, the the thing was going to flood the entire village, and oh. so he stuck his finger, stuck his finger in the dike and saved the village. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. So, and All then right. they had to find a way to like get him out. Oh, okay, okay. Because <laughs> he's I, he's stuck there. They're like, well, now what do we do? I'm definitely going to have to Google the the. the it's a real story. <laughs> I didn't just make that up. <laughs> but okay, so you, what you're saying is you're. I'm like, the little boy you're the with little his finger in his in the dike. <laughs> Stop saying I put my finger in a dike. It doesn't, it doesn't sound right. Um, oh, but yeah, okay, no, so, so you're fulfilling the need. You're, you're trying to fix this problem. Is basically what you're saying. Well, because so, that, that's that was my whole approach to the business is mm-hmm. fixing problems. Mm-hmm. And I'll fi- and because there's more than one problem when it comes to the bedroom. So okay, yeah. is, it, is he have a problem getting his getting a boner up? Does he have a problem getting his wife to orgasm? Does he have a problem with premature ejaculation? There's a pro- there's, there's a bunch of different problems that he could have. And so I'm going to try and address every single one of them as effectively as I possibly can. Get to give him as effective and as as as, as much effective advice as I can give him that is easy to understand for any and every man. That's also a big thing. And I think I'm a very, I genuinely think I'm a really good teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm evidently a really good teacher because of the results I get. Actually, it's self-evident. No, I mean I've bought every product and gone through every product. And the other thing about it is the like the the value of the the content like the content value how it's edited the, the the level of it is very high like it's not put together badly it's put together extremely professionally and, and high end and like you said you explain the things very plain simple exactly like a man you know like simple yeah. explained this is the problem this is how you fix it like it's not there's no woo woo there's no fluff there's no fluff yeah, yeah exactly I, I, I hate because I hated that I always because I remember the reason I wrote it this way was because I remember reading lots of like you call them self-help books or business books, like diet books, whatever, when I was in my 20s. And I remember sitting there, I'd have to sit down there and read this book this fucking big to get like three or four pages of really actionable advice. And the rest is just fluff and filler. And that, that, that's because of the publishing game. You need to have a book a certain size to sell it, blah, blah, blah. That's the old model. 
I don't think we need to do that anymore. I think I, I prefer getting straight down to the nuts and bolts of exactly what the problem is and how to fix it. And I think that that's the way I approach teaching guys how to solve these problems. And then you've been doing this for three, like you said, you decided yeah, three years. Yeah, started ago. it in 2020. So, well, technically started writing my first book product in 2019. Wrote it, took about six months writing it and then eventually got it out in, uh, yeah, just as, just as the pandemic happened. Pan, sorry, <laughs> scamdemic. Scamdemic. Uh, happened in uh, early 2020. I think we think that might come back, the scamdemic. What do you think? Yeah, so I've heard rumors it's coming back in September. Me too. Yeah. I had that, literally that rumor this morning. You know morning. what? I want it to come back. Here's why. So we can we can run around because because now there's so many more people who who've had their brains switched on, like it's I hope, knock on wood, it's going to fail atrociously. We're going to have a bunch of people just being like, "Fuck no, no, we're not going to do this again." Screw yourself. So, I mean, I'd I mean, love to see that. I would love to see that. I would love to see the people that say, oh, I knew, I knew it was a scam all along, blah, 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 blah. See them stand up for themselves and actually do the thing. But living in Spain, going through the last one, when we, I was locked in my house for three months, the, re the, the reality of it is there's police on the streets with guns and they say, get in your house. And you're like, yeah, but I don't want to go in my house. You have to get in your house. It's like there's nothing you can physically do, but as an individual. As a group, obviously, it could change. but So that's the downside to it, and, I, and I'm a, a bit confused. And that's, again, why I, I bring up Dubai again. But that's why I said about living in Dubai, because Dubai didn't have that situation. Well, they did make them get vaxxed. Ah, Dubai okay. made everyone get vaxxed. Well, Dubai, Dubai made all their citizens get vaxxed. Okay, there you go. I didn't know that. Which is not a great thing. No, 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 no so. that as well. So that's... Uh, America was the freest place. Oh, really? It was, because every state had different laws. That's why I moved to Miami. I moved to, I was, in LA, I was in LA, I was in California, and I, that, that had the worst. And then I moved to Florida because it was open. Oh. DeSantis kept the whole fucking state open. No restrictions, no lockdowns, nothing. This, like, this, is when, this is when I met Fresh and Fit. I met them at the same time, uh, like through uh, like a Zoom chat or whatever. And then they invited me out there, and then they showed me, like, oh my God, this whole place is open. And that's what made me move. Like, they were running around having a great time. During, during the lockdowns because yeah. Florida was wide open and there was a couple of other places in America that were very very similar and that just shows you the I don't know if forgotten about it because everyone goes but it shows you how much the bullshit that it is because one place is open one place is closed one place is just an exactly. absolute scam um, but you know I, I thought because Dubai doesn't do that like I didn't know about the vaccine thing but that uh, that's always an option to go to Dubai during the time I mean September November, October November is quite start, Dubai starts getting quite good um, but I lost my train of thought. I was saying, for you, producing these products and, and, and filling, filling this problem for men, and obviously you've managed to accrue wealth. Does I mean, that sound yeah. like a good, a good uh, way sure. of putting it? But I mean, when, you, when did you feel, from creating this business, when did you feel like, nah, I've got money now? Like what was that? What was the, the, the number? If you don't have to it, put it, a number it, on it. It, yeah, it was like... It was like multiple six figures that was it yeah. for me because I'd never had that much money in my life yeah. <laughs> at one it, I, I, did a big, I did a big product launch and did really well and I remember seeing the money hit my bank account I was like holy shit <laughs> like, it was like I've never had this much money in my entire life like ever and it was we're talking like a couple hundred grand yeah right? but it happened in the space of a week and I, just, I remember seeing the because it was a I did it as a pre-sale, it was a the money wasn't hitting my account yet. So I saw the sales numbers as I was doing this big promo push for the week. 
And I just remember, like, we had a good, good first couple of days. Like, oh, we could do some good money here. This is this looked great. And then, like, middle, like, days three, four, five, six. I'm like, holy! Sh-. I was waking up every day, looking, checking the numbers. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then the money hit my bank account. And I just, I just, I was there with my best friend. It was actually, I was in Portugal with my best friend during all the lockdown stuff, running. At that time, Portugal wasn't doing anything, so I was just running. I was basically running away mm-hmm. from all the lockdown stuff. Had a steak dinner that night, and I'm like, "Good lord! Like, I, I am now that I consider that to be financially free." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could add more money than, than I'd ever had in my life, and I was able to. I didn't. I it was the first time in my life where I didn't worry. I wasn't worried about how much dinner cost. Yeah, that yeah. was it for me. The, I used. I used to be. This is why I, I love paying for dinner. Okay. People now. I know you have a problem. Whenever we go to dinner, you make sure we split it. I know that's the thing you do. You make sure we split that. <laughs> well, no, that I hate, I hate um, someone else. Buying, someone else like, paying for me. Yeah. yeah. I, so it's like I, I, I don't mind paying for dinner, but I'm not going to pay with ten of us out for dinner every weekend. I'm not going to pay. So yeah. It's like, so it's for I me. That. It's like I don't like someone else paying for me. Yeah. I don't know. I've got a weird thing about it. So I'm like, that okay, let's sense. just split it. Everyone just pay down. No, no, I'm not splitting it like counting what I had to eat. But okay, it costs 600 bucks. It's six of us, 100 bucks each. Like no yeah. problem. At least so I, I want to contribute because I almost feel like I'm being alphaed when a guy walks right. in and goes, I'm paying the bill. So I'm like, <laughs> fuck that. I'm going to pay this. So I, I, I'll do it. Like I'll go in there and I'll pay the bill. And I'll be like, yeah. But uh, I don't like... <laughs> I don't like it when someone does it to me. Gotcha. You know, that's kind of what it is. But up, up until that point in my life, I was, every time I went out to dinner, I was always the guy who was like, I'd look at the menu, see how much something cost and, and go through it in my head. Can I afford this? Can I afford that? I have to ch- t- take the cheaper option. Do I get a side? No, it's too expensive. Do I get a starter? No, that's too expensive. Like my whole, up until that point, my whole life, I had to think about the price of something on a menu. That was the first time. And since then, that was the, I'd never had to think about the price of food. <laughs> on a menu. And that and and from that point onwards I've always loved buying dinner for whoever I'm with because I could never do it before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a little thing but for me that's one of the best feelings on earth right now is we can, I can take a few bunch of friends out for dinner or whatever. I can put my credit card down and pay well debit card I don't use credit cards. Put my <laughs> debit card down, pay for it and I I just I just feel joy. Because I could never do that before. So, do you think that's changed in the last three years? Definitely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay. I was broke, broke, broke. Yeah. <laughs> I was broke. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I've been, I've kind of done this. Because, right. I mean, my story, people will know who's watching, but I went from, like I said, had the marketing job, left the job, slept on the floor for two, three years in the gym trying to become a fighter. I got to the fight, I did the UFC thing. You know, I, I felt like I made a lot of money in the UFC because in the two years I was there, three years that I was there, I made like two, three, four hundred grand, but like through all the sponsors, everything you could think of, you know, and I was living for free and I had a car for free because of sponsorship, all that sort of stuff. So I maybe made 400 grand. So it's like, again, at the time, I'd gone from sleeping on the floor to making 400 grand. You think, wow, I got money. Um, and then I could stop fighting. I, I left the UFC and moved to Europe, moved to Spain, and I was doing all right. But then I kind of stopped fighting and COVID hit and I was like, shit, what am I going to do? Then I started doing the, doing pads and I was making okay money, and but, but nothing. And then, you know, I launched a few businesses, did kind of online info products similar to you and, and I started making money again. So I've gone like, had no money, had money, no money, had money. And I'm sure I'll go back to no money and right. I'll go back to having money. But it's, I've always said, and this is maybe where me and you differ, I, will, I couldn't give a fuck about sleeping on the floor tomorrow. Like in my life, I'm, I'll risk everything. 
but now I have a family. Yeah. I'm also risking them. Yeah. So it's, I have to, my actual, my living situation, um, the standard of my living is for them. It's not even for me. I don't care. I'll sleep anywhere. I'll eat anything. And when you, the thing is when you, this is what I'm going to ask you, because you've gone through this thing and you like, like to buy everyone dinner and, and you, you know, when you go out for a fancy dinner every night, like we do in Marbella, you know what I mean? <laughs> it starts to lose its value. Yeah. Because it's not important. Yeah. Because I can go, I could go out for a steak dinner every night. I could go to one of the places here, that really nice spot every night, buy dinner, no problem. So then it's like, what's the point kind of thing? So uh, for you, do you think, what do you think the next step is on the, like if you want to call it on the financial ladder or on the, your ladder, not financially, but now you've made your money. Yeah, you, you, you know you've got money coming in. You know you have the ability to make money. You're an extremely confident person. You, you understand yourself. You're happy to give back to your friends and by taking them out and looking after them. But where do you think, what's the next? Because once you see the, the value in that kind of isn't what you, this is how I feel anyway. The value in those experiences aren't the same as what you expect them to be. You know what I mean? Like, okay, now I'm a big boy. Now I'll go out, I'll spend it. I can do this. But, but it doesn't, uh, it's not important. Yeah. Going to dinner is not important. I'm not, it gives you joy. I'm not taking that away from you, but I'm saying like, it's not an important thing. So what's the next step for you to, to add, let's call it like mission in your life. Like what, and you have a huge mission helping everyone. I guess you get a lot from your job because you're helping absolutely. a lot of people. Yeah, for, I get fulfillment from that, mm. absolutely. But for me, uh, I think for me, for the next big personal goal at least is, is a farm. That's, for me, that's the, that's the thing that I just think I, it's on my mind all the time. It really is. Like mm. I make it like, the monetary side of things, like, oh, I'm, if I'm saving money or I'm putting money aside or I'm doing this or I'm investing in something that I think will yield a good return, it's the end goal is always like, okay, so I can buy like 80 acres of land. That's literally, <laughs> yeah, it. that's the, that is the why. It's always the why for me at the moment. All right, and that's brilliant. Because uh, I think this is what I find because I talk to a lot, a lot of young men about what, what's going on in their lives. I think that direction I lack in that direction. You have the direction. You want the 80 acres and you understand what it takes to get there and to do that. And I think yeah. you're fortunate, and, and as, as am I, to feel a lot of a fulfillment from your job. Yep. Which most people that work a nine to five that sit there, they hate their job. They don't make enough money. So it's like they're, tr they're trying to find fulfillment in, a, in, in other realms and other avenues. But I think uh, you know, you're, you're in a very, very good spot to be able to do whatever you want to do. Like I said, but you've created that through making the hard choices. Yeah, and there's, 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 a, there's a weird paradox there with that, that degree of freedom, right? Is when you can literally do whatever. Like right now, I mean, obviously I'm not ultra wealthy, right? Like there's, there's, a, there's a, still a lot of things I can't afford to do, right? Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do because then I'd bankrupt myself, for example, <laughs> right? But when you can, I can basically do, afford to do anything I would want to do at this point. Mm -hmm. there's, nothing, there's nothing really ex super extravagant uh, costing that I even interest me. Like, I don't really have any interest in buying a yacht or anything like that. I don't really have any interest in buying, like, a mega mansion. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have any interest in buying, like, a. I'll get a, I've got, I've, I've just bought a supercar. So I don't have any interest in buying a bunch of supercars. You know, or like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So when I can really afford to do anything I want and go anywhere I want, then the problem becomes the choice the paradox is it's like, okay, well, but what do I do? Because I can do damn near anything. So what exactly do I do is a, is a conversation I have to sit down and have with myself. Because I could just run around like a degenerate traveling everywhere and not really get much done, 
right? And then the work suffers, and then my mission suffers. Like, and then my, my pe- and people suffer because I'm not doing the best job I can do. Mm. So I have to sit down and have a, a very introspective think about what exactly is most important and create some kind of value hierarchy around the things I can do with my time. Hmm. So then, have you done that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I focus on work. Yeah. Because yeah. it helps more people. Because I've got people, I've got employees, I've got affiliates, I've got a bunch of people under me who depend upon me to keep doing what I'm doing for their income as well. I've got all my fans and followers and supporters and people, my customers and stuff who depend upon me to help keep solving their problems. I've got all this. I've got, I've got my future family that doesn't even exist yet that, I, that is constantly on my mind. Mm-hmm. Literally, I don't even have a family yet and I'm already thinking about, okay, I need to do this for future son or future daughter or future wife or whatever. I, I'm already thinking like that. And that's, that's, which is, might sound a bit weird, but yeah. These, these non-existent people <laughs> I'm working for, if that makes sense. But then it's, it comes down to, I mean, I'm sure you do. I know you do a lot of podcasts about like dating and relationships and all that sort of stuff because obviously this, the, the field that you're in, but then it comes down to finding, having a relationship, right? Which in 2023 is, is a complicated uh, and game. In my, and in Marbella is a complicated game. <laughs> uh, you know what? I've actually, I, it's, it, I haven't said this publicly yet. I'm, I am currently... And we'll see how long I keep this up for. But I'm currently going celibate. Mm. I think I think I might go celibate for like th- three to six months, with the intention of finding like a woman I can take seriously long term. Because lately, I feel like I've just been being far too casual mm. with things, and I'm not getting. It's fun. Whoop de doo. But it's not the direction I want to be heading in. So I've made a decision to be celibate. Maybe I'll, I'll let her give you a blowjob or something, but I won't have sex, penetrative sex mm. for like three to six months with the intention, with that, with that taken away, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I feel like my, the way I interact with a woman on a, in a dating context is going to be very different when that's off the table mm-hmm. and will make both me and her, because I'll make that perfectly clear from the get-go, but it'll make both me and her uh, focus on different things like long-term compatibility. And I'll actually be looking, I'll be looking at the interaction from that lens of like, could I actually hang around with this woman all the time? Like, could I live in this, could I live with this woman, et cetera, et cetera? Could I have a kid with this woman, mm-hmm. right? May and I and I like to think I am experienced enough to not get taken advantage of and taken for a ride and you know, you know, end up uh, like a Logan Paul situation, right? <laughs> <laughs> Where she's like riding a million dicks and I'm the one who's spe- magically special by not by she, because she's waiting for me or some shit like that. Yeah. I am I am worldly enough to avoid that situation, so I don't think this is a, necessarily a smart move for every guy. But just where I'm at, it's something I wanted to experiment with Amazing. because I haven't done it before. I'm like, you know what? I could I could get laid tomorrow mm-hmm. with like at the drop of a hat, no problem. But I'm gonna try and just deliberately not have sex for an extended period of time and see how it affects my interactions. But then you think, I mean, it's an interesting idea, like you said, but it comes down to What's the word? Availability. Like you said, you could, yeah, most men are probably celibate, not by choice. <laughs> so it's a yeah, different, yeah, different yeah. argument, but for you, it's, it's something that you have decided to do. But I, I 
agreed. I think that's a great idea to understand some a woman on a deeper level. We'll or see how long I last. We'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, it's public now, bro. Um, but, this is the, you're the first person I've told this to as well. I'm checking the date, but I won't say it out loud. Um, and uh, and yeah, so but I think what I meant was with that. Okay, because so uh, say you find this woman through the celibacy. You meet the white, the white girl and then you settle down and, and, and whatever else. I know this is talking hypothetically and it's quite a in, intimate subject. But, um, you know, what is your outlook on on marriage or not marriage, but on relationships with the woman that you're going to be with, that you're going to live on this with this farm? Yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't get uh, governmentally mm -hmm. married, like legally married on paper, because I think that's a night a nightmare scenario for men in the Western world these days. I would get happily, I would happily get religiously married, mm. happily, like in a church, under God, all that stuff. Fine, that doesn't bother me at all. Mm. Yeah, and then, yeah, farm, farm, farm life. You stay at home, raise the kids, milk the cow. Uh, you know, I'll take care of everything else. I'll do all the, I'll do all the hard graft. So you think you're going to find a woman that wants to milk cows in my bear? Not in my bear. No, I don't <laughs> think so. I do not think I'll find a woman who wants to milk cows in my bear. Then, and that's which, which goes back to my uh, my thinking about like. I do, I'm doing a lot of thinking about like where exactly I would want to have a homestead. And I'm also doing a bit of thinking about, okay, what's the right pond to fish in for finding such a woman? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Because I do not think it is my bear. Mm -hmm. uh, I have met, a, I, to be fair, I have met a couple of very, very, very good women here, in my, like local women, uh, Spanish girls here in my bear. But that it hasn't panned out because they don't quite meet my all the criteria that I have. I have a very, very specific set of criteria. So unfortunately, they were, and they're amazing women too. It's, a, it's really unfortunate that I had to let that go. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you'd be surprised what you could find. But I, yeah, definitely not. I'm not going to find someone at like La Sala or, <laughs> or now Paul Club. <laughs> no, no, no. But we're still going to go, right? We're still going <laughs> to no, I'm joking. Um, okay, well, I think uh, I don't know how long we've been going, but I think it's been it's been fa fairly enough enough time. So, to talk about again, to go back to your products, your services, what you do for a living for the people that don't know, um, and where they can find you, and how you can help them, and and those things. And like I said, I have bought the products, not all of them. I think I haven't bought the, 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 the a couple of them, but um, the ones that I have bought have been extremely helpful for me. And not only that, but they're extremely, like I said, high level of content, very, very clear and easy to understand. And like I said, they've, they've definitely helped me personally. So I think uh, you can help a lot of, you are helping a lot of people. So if you explain exactly what it is and where they can find you. Yeah, sure. So stillingcooper.com is the easiest place to find all my stuff. It's just a one-stop resource. If you want to get, I have a ton of free stuff on YouTube. If you just type in Sterling Cooper, you'll find all my free stuff. That's very easy. Uh, but my product's based around Got, what I've got right now, six different products. I've got one around dirty talking. I've got one around uh, how to take a guy from being, say, uh, shy, timid, vanilla kind of lover to being a more passionate, dominant kind of lover that's very much focused around lots of different sexual techniques to help guys become, yeah, the kind of lover that women fantasize about. That's one of my best products. I've got a book which basically is filled with biohacks that I used in the adult industry to get the job done. That's a really good, that's my best selling one. I've got a book on performance anxiety. I've got a book on premature ejaculation. And uh, yeah, and I've got a free book, which is talks about the five subtle mistakes that men make in the bedroom and how they can fix them. I think it's a very, very good start starting point for a lot of guys. You don't, you don't know what you don't know.
Right. So I think that's a very good place to yeah. start. Well, we'll put all the links down down below. So don't don't uh, adv- uh, message me on that before you do because if you put the wrong link, you'll get uh, community strike. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Johan made that mistake last time. I don't time. know anything about it, so you yeah. have to explain it to me. But okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, brilliant. Nice one, Sterling. Appreciate having you in, and uh, yeah, I uh, look forward to visiting you on your farm. <laughs>